Well, good morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew today. I invite you to start turning there, Matthew chapter 7. You know, I enjoy getting to preach on Sunday nights. We'll do it a little more often than Sunday morning, but I enjoy Sunday mornings a lot. I like coming up after the choir and hearing them sing, come up to preach. Kind of gives you a little extra power, a little extra, a little extra focus, a little more in the worship as we get into it. It's the power of God. It's our foundation. The Word of God guides us every day. Now, storms in Kansas are pretty common. Yeah, I wrote this clearly before last night, but uh, last night we had a pretty big storm too. A little loud, shook the house. Some storms are like that. They become loud, lots of rain. Other storms come along and bring mass destruction with tornadoes, high winds, and hail. But I enjoy storms. I like listening to them. I like to set out on the patio, listen to the storms come through, watch the lightning, hear the thunder come through. I love sleeping in a tent when it's raining. That may be weird, but I grew up kind of camping a lot. We grew up in the rain and the storms. But when the storms get their worst, I'm so much more comfortable sitting in my house. And even if I get a little anxious, I still feel pretty secure with those walls. And here we have coming to the conclusion of this great Sermon on the Mount, is one final parable. Jesus provides a warning for his hearers and a warning for us today. Looking back at the Sermon on the Mount, these are probably some of the most famous words that Jesus has said. He tells us to turn the other cheek, to be like salt and light in the world, avoid lust and anger. So do not worry, do not be anxious. Just to forgive so you can be forgiven. He says, don't judge others. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let your acts of righteousness be seen for man's applause. Do them for him. And Sermon on the Mount really builds up to this point. It builds up to this one final parable. And really, it's a fairly simple parable, but it encompasses everything he just talked about. The entire Sermon on the Mount comes back to this one parable. Into the, the sermon, Jesus wants to drive home an important point. In order to benefit from his wisdom, we must be like the man who built his house on the rock rather than the man who built their house on sand. It's good to have security. But even more than that, it's important to have security in your spiritual house. And Jesus is telling us here to obey his teaching. Read a couple of verses here in Matthew. If you can, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me in the reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on his house, it did not fall, because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to read your word. We thank you for this opportunity to have your word put in front of us. Father, we spend a little time digging in through your message. As you open our hearts and our minds, allow us to see what you'd have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Two builders, two houses, two outcomes. Very simple. Yes. I think Jesus here presented a very clear parable, very, very clear. And I don't want to be the one to distract you with a, very, a lot of complexity. 
we're going to keep it pretty simple. Two builders. Two men undertook building projects, each with his own house. And you can envision this process they went through, drawing up plans, determining where to put the two-car garage, gathering the materials, and beginning the building processes. Houses were probably very similar in design. They provided the same protection from the weather. And we don't know how long the houses took to build, but from the text we see they both were completed. After putting the final piece in place, you can see each of them sitting back, admiring their handiwork. Maybe even calling a few family and friends over. So look what I just did. Look at the marvel of my building prowess. Looks good. Corners are square. Walls hold up the roof. It's all good. We're secure. For all intents and purposes, at this point, houses are the same. You wouldn't know any different. The differences. Same can be seen when we build a follower of Christ. Many of you have put your faith in Christ already. Some of you are skeptical and still searching. But coming to Christ starts with a desire. It starts with a calling or a draw from the Holy Spirit. In John 6, Jesus tells us, No one can come to the Father unless the Father come to me unless the Father who sent him draws, draws him. No one come to the Father, come, come to the Son, come to the Father unless you're drawn to him. Many people have a reaction to music, a sermon, or others around them. There's a realization that something is missing in life. They don't know what it is. Some look for peace through drugs, alcohol, friendships, look for relationships. And some even in the man of Jesus. But a few, very few actually find the relationship with Jesus Christ. Very few. Jesus says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So many will find destruction. Many will enter that wide gate and and not find Jesus. They'll find the, the ideas of this world. But he goes on to say, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He says, few will find him. Few will come to Jesus. Few will find eternal life. Few will find solace in Christ. Many look at the, the person of Jesus and, and they find just a person. They like this idea of Jesus. It sounds great. He's a great guy. He did some great things. Great prophet. Great man. But there's no heart change. There's no understanding of sin. There's no concept of repentance. If it's without repentance, without recognition of our sinful nature, there can be no salvation. No, ask for repentance. You don't just tell someone how great Jesus is and without telling them why he came in the first place. We don't talk about why about a savior without telling them why they need a savior. You can't bring them to salvation through Christ, but then acknowledge he's only a man. Relationship with Jesus Christ will take you to heaven. Everything else is an eternity in the lake of fire. Two seekers. One finds a relationship, the other chases this world, chases what glitters and shines. But we see that both builders were skilled. Both were skilled in architecture, able to design their houses. Both were skilled craftsmen, able to build their own houses. Both groups, the few and the many, are builders. 
or looking to build something in their life. Many may know the plan of salvation. Many know the Romans road. Many can use an evangel cube. Many others use the three circles. And by all intents and purposes, they know the plan of salvation. They're able to walk through it. They know Jesus. Or so we think. See, but nothing is there beyond the knowledge of man oftentimes. They can read the words. They can recite passages. But nothing's changed. Knowledge alone is not enough. See, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is a hearer of the word, but not a doer. Only love builds up. Only faith in Christ and trust in Christ builds up. So two people, equally skilled. One knows who Jesus is. The other find a relationship in Jesus Christ. You must be born again. No amount of head knowledge or desire to follow him or eagerness can save you. You must be born again into a relationship with Christ Jesus. With the completion of their houses, they appear to be alike at this point. Both have the solid structure. Maybe in the same painting, same color, same furniture. Yet one house is solid from the foundation up, able to withstand anything. The other one we find is solid on the surface, and the undercarriage is slowly falling apart. While they pair similar, they might as well be completely different continents. One is wise, the other is foolish. One is superficial, the other is substantial. One disingenuous, one sincere. See, the two builders are just the beginning. Two builders also built two houses. So even though they're similar from the ground up, we know the foundation is different. See, the sand was easy to smooth out. You build a sandcastle, you know it's pretty easy to walk across the sand, smooth the little sand out, start building your sandcastle. Rock's much different. See, a foundation rock would take much longer to prepare. Luke chapter 6 on, on the same parable says the man dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. So beyond the digging, the smooth out the rock would have taken time. Smooth rock is hard to come by. And a vision, go back in time, no heavy machinery, no jackhammers, just a man and his chisel. Chiseling away to make it smooth. Right now, if you've been north side of town, you'll see I-235 being worked on. you see the dirt start to come up on the side of the road, higher and higher, a little bit each day. As they lay that, they compress it. So day by day, it gets a little taller, but day by day, it's also made a little stronger. And my kids one time asked me why it took so long just to put some dirt in a pile. And I had explained to them that we just put something on top of that dirt that's in a pile. Just wash away. It's only when it goes up and it's strong and built up that you then lay the concrete on top that it begins to withstand all those cars that drive across it. And speed can affect us too. So first, I'm going to say this. I know that Jesus can change somebody in an instant. In flash or not, he can make a change. We can look at Apostle Paul and see what happened to him. The road to Damascus. In an instant, he was changed. He then went on to work studying for several years before he served. But it seems that's more often more than of an exception than a norm. Typically, we see the Holy Spirit working on someone over a period of time. We see bit by bit. See, the Spirit works internally. And as teachers and preachers, 
And friends work from the outside. The Spirit works internally. Sudden conversions also bring up questions. Not because it cannot happen, but because it's oftentimes the person isn't completely sure what they're getting into. They don't understand what, who Christ is. Oftentimes it's the emotional vent. We see friends come with friends as one comes with another. Those scary places to be in. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke says, But if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But it gets, goes further. He must bear up his own cross and come after me. He cannot be my disciple. It says, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Where there's enough to complete it. Otherwise, he'll lay a foundation that's not enough to finish. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a cost to discipleship. And that the cost is not seen in an instant, that cost takes time to understand. We're looking for conversions accompanied by a true repentance, marked by a change of heart. We're looking for someone seeking a relationship with Christ. Unfortunately, over the years, I've seen many people who have come forward, many who have made a profession of faith. Many of them fall away very quickly after that. Some because they never really accepted Christ in the first place. Others because as they start to build that foundation, it's not secure. And the first storm comes and they're washed away. Some we never see again. And it's tragic. It's tragic for the one who thinks they believed in Christ and didn't. It's tragic for the other one that actually believed in Christ and fell away. Not only does it mar their witness, but their life can't be strong and in peace because of it. One of my daughters was young. We were near the point where that, those questions were starting to come up. The salvation questions started to come along. She talked about salvation, about baptism. But when I sat down with her and asked the questions, I thought like we were still missing parts. We still didn't see the heart. She knew the right things, the right words to say. She learned those in, in our Sunday school classes and our kids' programs. But I was concerned that the understanding wasn't there. I was concerned that she didn't understand sin and didn't understand the need of repentance. It's become an opportunity for me to teach. We had a chance to discuss the, the weight of the decision. You see, I didn't want her to just make a profession for Christ because I did, because her mom did or her grandparents did or because her sister did. I wanted her to make a profession for Christ because she saw she needed a Savior. She saw she was a sinner, and she saw that she needed to come to him in repentance. Building a solid foundation takes time. The two houses were built, but as the two houses were going up, the man who built his house on rock looked, or looked at lack of progress. Looked at the house next door and saw the person building on sand and saw how fast the house went up. Walls were up fast. Roof went up very quickly. He moves in very, fast, very speedily. The man building a house on the sand on the other hand, he probably looked over the other man. It's all he was doing with the foundation. All the time he took building that and prepping that foundation. Made fun of his antiquated ways. There's a new way to do things, friend. It's faster than the old way. It's just regard the old path. It's not important. See, the farther they, they went along, the more heckling the foolish man probably increased. 
but quality takes time. We often see this in our modern method of Christianity, and I hesitate to call it that at times too. You see, it's churches today that preach Christ without salvation, salvation without repentance, and play Christianity without Christ altogether. They say they're doing it right, we're doing it wrong. I have a friend who said one time that we don't need to talk about sin. We don't want to make people feel bad for their sin. She said that Jesus was the answer, but we don't need that old stuff. Jesus is love, and that's enough. I was in shock. I didn't know how to respond to that quickly. To have somebody has been through our churches and comes to the point where they say that love is enough. We don't need Jesus. We don't need repentance. We don't need to worry about sin. See, how can you know a Savior if you don't understand the reason you need a Savior? Yes, Jesus is sufficient. It's only sufficient when you know why you need him. See, friends, my dog can show me love. I can sit on the couch. He comes up and cuddles with me. Likes to play. As much as my dog loves me, my dog can't save me. Love in the person of Christ is not salvation through Christ. And I fear that this love for Christ only, without repentance, is creating a false sense of security of many people. But many people will find themselves, when they cross over, not in a good place with Jesus. But there is a true faith. See, one may hastily follow a man they don't understand. They don't fully comp- contemplate the situation. They see the emotional change. He, he jumps in and believes he's at peace. He's comfortable in a situation. He boasts that he is secure in Jesus. This is the man who also calls himself a Christian, but says, no one can judge me. And you may miss this part. I've missed this part for years. I used to think that way. But as I keep reading the Bible and started to dig deeper into it, there's a couple passages that kind of spin that a little bit. So this man missed the passage in Matthew 18 that talks about church discipline. He missed the letter of Paul to the Galatians where he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So wait, in order to restore him, you have to first notice there's a transgression. In order to realize a transgression, you have to understand what the Bible says. Friends, we are to judge each other. For those we call each other Christians, we are to look at each other. We are to help each other. But notice he says to do it in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of kindness and love of Jesus Christ. But he also provides a warning to each of you and each of us. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. The other man... He humbles himself before a holy and righteous God. He seeks genuine forgiveness. He knows that he is not worthy of the sacrifice made by Jesus. He examines himself regularly. And though he knows that he is saved by faith, not by works, he knows that works are the product of faith. He gives the glory to God. From all, he knows all his power is obtained. The second man If you identify with him, be joyful that you identify with him. Be joyful that your house may cost you more to build. 
be joyful that it, that it is also based on a solid foundation. It's a foundation found only in Jesus Christ. The first man, if you identify with him, I encourage you to search your heart. Beware of sheep's clothing without a change from the inside out. So you cannot take over the faith of your mother, your father, your grandparents, your spouse, your friends. Faith must be your own. And in time, storms will come. In time, if you do not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll find you have no peace in the slightest of trials. I could go around the room today and name a few names. Name men in this congregation. Men who taught Sunday school. Men who served as deacons. Men who realized that through the trials of life, they did not have peace. They realized they were not followers of Christ, but they were just going through the motions. It doesn't matter how long you've been, a, you, you've been to church, how long you go to Sunday school. If you're here every time the doors are open, that doesn't save you. There's no peace in that. In fact, I'd even say that the more you hear, the more you may be uneasy without Christ in your heart. Just as these men came to realization they were lost, you will too. See, it's not too late today to do that. And I assure you that if you are one of those, no one will look down on you. If you walk down the aisle, I guarantee you people in this room will be rejoicing for you. Happened to my grandpa. He taught Sunday school, been a deacon. He'd been assured that he was a Christian. It was years later that he realized he wasn't. He realized he didn't have the peace those had around him. It was years later that he finally realized that I need Christ. But what would happen if I walked down the aisle? Me and the congregation have led to Christ. I've taught many of these students, many of these adults. What will they think when I walk down the aisle? As he stepped out, as he walked down, as he came forward and, and professed his, his, his faith in Christ, Vincent's rejoicing. It's always rejoicing when someone comes to Christ. It's not too late. But the longer you wait, the longer you, you put on a facade, the harder it is to keep it going. And you may fool man, but Christ will not be fooled. The paragraph up in your, in your Bible in this section of Matthew, Jesus says that one day, on that day, the, the, the day of judgment will come. And many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? This part's sad. Through all their works, through all they've done for him, for all they've done on his behalf and his name, a simple response. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. At that point, friends, it's too late. We're also need to pursue holiness. As we come to accept Christ, as we start to follow him, 
we look towards what's called sanctification. This, this is your work towards holiness. See, but sanctification cannot happen in this life. It can only happen on the other side as we pass from this world. But every day we should be striving for it, striving to be more like Jesus, striving to be more like the perfect Savior we have. How can we say we're saved, though, if we live in habitual, unrepentant sin? How can we say we're saved if we refuse to repent, to turn away from our ways? So when we repent and we, we turn from our wicked ways, Christ is there to forgive us. He's there to restore you. He's there to help you build on his love, on his sincerity and his desire. Helps us to seek the Holy Spirit. Helps us to not be deceived. So two builders prepared two houses, led to two different outcomes. Trials were the same. Storms came. Verses 26 and 27 say the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew. Look at the houses in good weather, which where everything is all right. We have a big picture window in our basement, and it gives a great view of the backyard. Clear view, you can look out and see the kids playing, see them on the trampoline, see the, the geese as they come up in the yard and make messes. It's great to look outside in the backyard. Some rains came, still looked great, took a sea out. But all of a sudden, as the rains increased, as the storms came and hit multiple days, you start to see the water start to drip a little bit at a time. Coming down on top of the seal. Coming down off the seal under the carpet. See, what looked great when the weather was good, what functioned exactly as it was planned when the weather was nice, started to fail when the storms came. The storms will come for us too. If they haven't already come in your life, and I'd be very surprised if they haven't, they will. And while this verse really speaks more to the final day of the coming of the Lord, the final judgment. There's also a piece here talking about the storms in our life I think we can apply. So trials will come, and they'll be in various forms. Some of them may be very painful. Cancer, divorce, death, persecution. All these are consequences of a sinful world. And they all come from one place. See, Satan is seeking to destroy us. He's seeking to tempt you. He wants to try to put idols before God. He wants to take your eyes off of God. He wants to destroy your witness. And he knows how to attack our weaknesses. He knows how to come after us. He wants to make sure that you can't lead anybody else to Christ. Each of us will not face the same trials. But this time, more than ever, as you see these trials come, you need that strong foundation. And when we're tempted beyond our ability to withstand, and it will happen, we can cry out to Jesus for help. And know that in our darkest days, in our troubles, he's there. And he'll help to carry us through. But through all that, we must stand. As the trials come, as we face the storms, we're told to stand. Paul told the church in Ephesus to put on the whole armor of God. So we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If we don't wrestle against principalities and flesh, Against flesh, but against principalities, against the rulers, against the cosmic powers, this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor, God, that you may be able to stand the evil, that you may be able to stand on that day and stand firm. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, puts it this way. The sound Christian is like a stone. If he's thrown into a pool of false doctrine, he may be wet by it. But he doesn't receive it into his inner self. Whereas the unsound professor is like a sponge. He sucks it all in. Greedily and retains what he absorbs. So as we face the trials, as we face the teachings, we can find ourselves absorbing that around us and then putting that back out. We can find ourselves like the stone that gets wet. The one that though we may be marred on the outside a little bit, inside we still stand with Jesus. We still stand strong. So even in trials, we need to be focused on Jesus. We don't have to let the trials change us. And when we fall, when we fail to stand strong, we must repent and seek forgiveness. He said, Brother Nathan, he said that repent word a lot today. Yes. It's important. So many of our churches right now don't talk about repentance. We just skip over that part. It doesn't make us feel good and fuzzy. But it's important. When we fall, when we fail, we must repent. One day there will also be a final storm, a final judgment that's going to come along. John the Baptist says that his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. As he goes through the crops, as he takes off the good, the good crops and brings them to his house, there'll be some left behind. He calls out the chaff that will burn with the unquenchable fire. It will be a part that will stand after Jesus gathers his, to, his people to himself. All sin will come to light. Nothing is hidden from the Lord, and he will distinguish his children from everyone else. Trials and storms produce different outcomes. The house built on the rock stood strong. When the storm came and pounded the house, the house stood. The man inside found himself safe. He could take comfort in the strong foundation. And for the Christian, we can rest peacefully in our trust in Jesus Christ. When trials come, uh, the Christian will not be swept away. And when he takes his final breath on this earth, he can stand secure in the covenant sealed with the blood of Christ. When the final trumpet sounds, we stand before a holy and righteous God. The Christian can stand firm, knowing that his life withstands the fire that will test every man's works. As everyone around us, everyone around him starts to dissolve, starts to be made new, he can still stand strong. The house built on the sand collapsed. The storm came beating against the walls. I can see the man inside start to cower. As the roof comes off, the walls start to sway. Maybe running outside. But the house not only collapsed, Matthew records it was a great fall. For this man, the trials of life will consume him. He'll be hardly able to stand when the trials come before his life. In the hour of persecution, he'll turn away. It also provides a word of caution for the last days. Paul writes that the time is coming. 
And as if Paul's time that's coming is, is now. We're seeing that time. When people will not endure sound doctrine, but have itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. They'll turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So many false teachers roam this world today. They look great from the outside, but inside they're wolves seeking to devour. There's also a risk we have to keep in mind that although we're still grounded in Christ, although we still know we're His, we may still shift if we're not careful. We can be listening to some of those false prophets. We can hear things that sound really good, make it sound wonderful. I'm going to realize they're leading us in a bad direction. We need to stay grounded in Scripture. The Scripture is our source of theology. Everything that you hear needs to be taken back against Scripture. Everything from this pulpit taken back against Scripture. Search for yourself. Make sure you know, you understand. Recently, many Christian leaders have come out. They've turned away. They've fallen away from the faith. They've realized this isn't, isn't true, they say. John Cooper is a lead singer of a band called Skillet. It's a Christian rock band, although I'll preface it to say that way that I've never thought their words are overly Christian. Nonetheless, they, they build themselves a Christian rock band. But he had some words to say that really caught my eye, and it made me really see him in a whole different light. And I'm going to provide a small snippet of this, but I encourage you to read the whole thing. Here's what he says. He said, my conclusion for the church, all of us Christians... We must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me. I've been staying for 20 years and seemed quite probable, quite judgmental to some of my peers that we're in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as a source of our truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise hymns rather than the teachings of the Word. We spend more time listening to Casting Crowns and Toby Mac than we do in the Word of God. It's a dangerous place. It's sad and it's scary. But he goes on to say this. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the Word, to value the teaching of the Word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. What we're seeing now is a result of the church rising up influencers who do not supremely value truth who have led a generation who do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now many of disavowed leaders, these disavowed leaders are proudly still leading the influencers away from the truth. There's only one place for us to stand. See, we're told to stand on the rock. We're told to stand on the word of God, the word he's given to us. It's the whole counsel of God. And we have a responsibility to not only read this, understand it, but then to share it. We're told to teach it to our kids, to hide it in our hearts, to teach it to those around us. But against the full counsel of God. Not the parts we like. Not the parts we only want, we want to agree with. We need to stand firm in the faith. A solid rock does not move. 
And the words of Jesus in this book are our rock. The Bible written down by man through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's immutable. It's invaluable. It's the inerrant word of God. Jesus says he does not change. And just as God does not change, the word of God does not change either. You may not like what it says sometimes, but it's still right. And one day each of us will stand before our creator. Many will cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, can we prophesy in your name? Can we drive out demons and perform miracles in your name? And it's shown in response, away from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. He says to them, just because you know my name, just because you sing praises to me, just because you come to church, just because you go to Sunday school, just because your mom's a Christian, your dad's a Christian, doesn't mean I know you. It doesn't mean that we have a relationship. At that point, again, it's too late. Apostles did not die because of waffling convictions. They died for a solid conviction. So read the Word of God, submit to Jesus, allow yourself to be guided by the Spirit. And when the storms come, when you face trials, where will you be? Will you be swept away like the house built in the sand? Or will you stand on the rock built on a solid foundation? As for me, the hymn we sung this morning, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. How about you this morning? Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself not knowing whether you're standing on a rock? Do you find yourself searching for peace? Maybe you need to meet this Jesus. Friends, I'm telling you, he's standing near to you. He's ready to receive you. And when we stand in a minute, sing your hymn of invitation. Come and see me. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Maybe you find yourself straying away. You started strong on a, on a rock, but you find yourself more on sand these days. The Father's waiting to receive you back. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed. And repent and turn back to him today. He'll be faithful to receive you back. Maybe you're still standing on the solid rock. Look to the Father today. Ask him how you can help support those around you for their trials. Because we're always stronger when we support each other. The Father, you think it's an opportunity to come together. Together in your house to, to hear your word. Above all, Father, we thank you that you sent your son for us. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us on a cross. We thank you that you took him from the grave and rose him three days later. We thank you that you allowed him to send into heaven to set by you. We thank you that through him we can have intercession before you. Through him, our petitions are heard. Father, we come to you. We ask for your peace upon us. And Father, I ask that you look at the hearts of each one of us. Show us where we fail you. Show us how we need you.
For those tonight, for this morning, Father, that don't know you. Open their hearts, Father. May today be the day that the Spirit works on them and works through them to see they, need, they have a need for you. Help them to step out, Father, to make that commitment today. Well, we ask for this in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.